0: can you bless by learning something new and maybe in a few months when I see my cousin I'll ask him to teach me how to do Rubik's Cubes you're going to learn something new or someone will help you well good think of something new because life is full of learning so can we let's let's pray together okay God we give you thanks for God you know everything You know how to do everything. You know how to do Rubik's Cubes. You gave us minds that we know how to wrap boxes inside of boxes inside of boxes. God, you know everything. Help us to learn. Help us to find good teachers in life who can teach us good things. And God, when we learn new things, help us to use the new things that we know to bless other people. Lord, we thank you for good teachers in our life, for our parents, our grandparents, Sunday school teachers, and children and worship helpers. Lord, for all those who teach us good things, we give you thanks and praise. Help us to learn well, to learn new things, that we can bless others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I'm going to hold on to this Rubik's Cube for a bit, but we need someone to take the mystery box home for next week. Now... Pastor Audrey will have the box next week, so that'll be fun. And since we sent it home with a boy last week, we'll alternate this week, so maybe we should send it home with a girl this week. So, and we'll also need to know that there's a girl who will know that they'll be here next week. Okay, so we're pretty sure, and then we'll have one more week with the mystery box, so maybe if you don't get it this week, you might get it next week. You'll be home. Hmm, Sadie, you guys know you'll be here? You'll be here? Oh, I think you'll be here too. That's good. I'm glad everybody will be here. Sadie and Evelyn, do you want to take the box home this week? And then Pastor Audrey will have the box for next week, and then we'll send it home one more time. And then you know what? I think we're going to do this all summer next summer because I kind of like seeing what you guys come up with in the box. So, as we sing our next song, kids, you can head back to where you're seated and we'll send this home and remember, Elliot, Jody, no live animals or things that used to be alive. Thanks everybody. Let's sing. Oh, I'll give you a little back. Oh, okay. Oops. Would you please rise as
1: we continue to sing? Christ be with me and within me, Christ behind me and before, Christ beside me and to end me, Christ to comfort and restore, Christ beneath me. I'm To comfort and restore Christ, beneath me and above me, Christ in quiet.
0: When we come to confession and assurance, this happens both individually and corporately. There are things that we confess within our own souls, within our own hearts, knowing the sins that we have committed, and they are many. And yet God's mercies are new every morning, for great is your faithfulness, O Lord. There's also a different function of confession and assurance within a community of believers, within the church. And that is also to grieve and lament when our world is not all as it should be. There will always be more prayer requests that will come through for things are not all as they should be. There will be headlines in the news that will remind us ever so quickly that the world is not all as it should be. We know that yesterday uh, one person was killed as a car was driven through uh, counter-protesters in Charlottesville. When we come together as the people of God, we do grieve for the sins of the world. Even those that we say, those are far off, those aren't in our backyard, or maybe we didn't commit those sins. And yet, these are for all of us as people of God to bring together before the Lord in prayer. Because we know the beginning of the story and the end of the story. For our intro to confession this morning, I want to share with you Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is the call of Abram. And it was Abram's family, and he was renamed Abraham, that he would be a blessing to all nations. I want to read for you from Genesis chapter 12, the call of Abram as we come together for confession and lament this morning. The Lord said to Abram, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Let's pray together. God, we come before you on the morning of this day, and we grieve. We grieve for the places in our world where life is not valued. We grieve the places in our world where life is devalued at the expense of another Lord, we grieve that the vision that you cast before Abraham and continued through all of time for all people to be blessed, for all nations to be brought together in unity, in purity, and in peace. We grieve that there is evidence to the contrary all around us. We grieve for hatred. We grieve violence. We grieve for racial divides and racism that have put up false schisms among your people. Lord, we know that this is the work of the enemy, the devil at work to divide people against people, to devalue human life, and to hinder the vision that you cast before us that all people on earth may be blessed and that all nations may know you. Lord, In our hearts, give us love for our neighbor. Give us compassion for our enemies. Give us peace as we wait for your kingdom vision. And strengthen us by your Holy Spirit. For the work that we do right here, for the prayers that we offer in sincerity to you. And Lord, for any small step that we can take in bringing your kingdom vision here for all nations, for all peoples, to be blessed and to know that they belong to you. May our identity be found not in anything that divides, but may our identity be found in you, Jesus. And may that identity be shared with the world in a true and pure way. Lord, in confession, in grief, in confusion, in frustration, in anger, in all of these places, we offer our prayers to you and to you alone. In the name of Jesus Christ, who is the only King and Lord of the church and of the world. Amen. In Revelation, a different vision is given, and this is the same vision that was given to Abram all the way back in Genesis 12, and then in Revelation is carried forward. And the vision is this. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, And with your blood you purchased people from God, from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. We have been sanctified by Christ. Our sins are washed away, and this is good news for us. And this also comes with a charge and with empowerment from God's very Spirit to go out into every tribe and language and people and nation and tongue and to proclaim the good news that we are a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood for God's good work to every tribe, every language, every people and nation and tongue. May this vision guide the church forward in its work. Amen. Let's continue to sing.
1: Shall and the power of the gospel shall.
0: I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2, as we continue following the ministries of Elisha and Elijah. We'll be looking at two different sections, but to make it simple, it's the beginning and the end of a chapter. 2 Kings chapter 4. We'll first be looking at verses 1 through 7. And then we'll be going down to 42 through 44, so the beginning and end of the chapter from 2 Kings. To set a bit of context, uh, for one, there are no bears attacking in this story, so you survived through that last week. There are no bears in this story, but there is a continued shift. Happening When Elijah started his ministry of a prophetic witness of confronting King Ahab long time ago, for us, way earlier in the summer, years have passed between Elijah's beginning of his ministry and where we pick up with Elisha today. When Elijah first confronted King Ahab, he started his ministry, as recorded in Scripture, by pronouncing a drought upon the land. A drought brings famine. Famine brings scarcity. Elisha, just as Elijah went out, Elisha comes in, in the reverse, and does not proclaim a drought or famine or scarcity, but Elisha's ministry begins to bring an abundance back to the land. Elisha in not, is not undoing the work, but is showing a different side. The people have experienced famine and drought and scarcity. And the two texts that we look at this morning, 2 Kings 4, 1-7 through and 42-44, through have to do with abundance. Now, abundance is a word that we can probably come up with some synonyms for. It's a word that creates a picture in our mind. And before we read the text, before we pray for God's blessing upon the word, I want to ask you, what's your picture of abundance? What does the abundant life look like for you? What is abundance and what's a biblical perspective of abundance? This will be our guiding question for this morning as we read these two different passages that have to do with abundance. What does it look like for you? And how does God correct and shape our view of abundance? But before we come to the reading of God's word, let's pray and ask God for his blessing upon the word. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray that you illumine your word to us. Make your word living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword piercing as far as joint and marrow, bone and flesh, and judging the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Lord, this is a description of your word from your word in the book of Hebrews. May you judge the thoughts and intentions of our heart. And may you breathe life into us by your Holy Spirit that your word may be living and active to us this day. Give us a picture of abundance that is fitting and true lord allow us to be shaped and molded by your word lord in all of this we pray simply that your grace and truth may reign here in this place speak o oh lord for we your servants listen in the name of jesus we pray amen second kings chapter 4 If I said chapter 2 earlier, I'm sorry, that's just because I was still stuck on the bear story from last week. 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elijah said, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it on to the side. She left him, shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left now going down to verse 42 for the end of the chapter. A man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God 20 loaves of barley bread, baked from the first ripe grain, along with some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. How can I set this before a hundred men, his servant asked. But Elisha answered, Give it to the people to eat. For this is what the Lord says. They will eat and have some left over. Then he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord and has to do with Abundance. God has intervened by the word of the Lord given to Elisha that God would intervene and mess with the very laws of physics that the woman, the widow, who thought she had nothing left, is instead given an abundance. Enough oil to pay off all of her debts and enough oil to sell that her and her sons may live off of it. A picture of going from scarcity to abundance just as Elijah's decreed famine brought scarcity, now Elisha brings abundance in this story and provision. God has intervened. This is one of the miracles where God intervenes in the laws of physics. Mass cannot be created or destroyed. Matter cannot be created or destroyed. Except here, we have a small jar of olive oil filling jar after jar after jar. Only limited by the amount of jars that the woman took into the house. Only limited by how far she was willing to take Elisha's strange request to go ask her neighbors for a bunch of different jars. And I know some of you share, we share some cultural similarities. You know who she wanted to go to was the old Dutch pack rats who have every mason jar they've ever had in their cellar. And and how many of you have like 40 different butter tubs with 16 different things in them in your fridge? Oh, yeah, she should have come to some of our houses and gotten our abundance of free Tupperware. God has intervened in the loss of physics that this small jar has filled up every spare container that she could get. And in the same way, with a strong and clear echo towards the New Testament. A few loaves are given to way too many people. Do we know another story like this? Where a few loaves are put in front of a mass crowd of people, and they ate until they were full, and then even had leftovers? Now, consider for us, sometimes in our culture, leftovers can be a nuisance, right? You know, leftovers are like the meal that we didn't plan ahead for, that we're just kind of done, but we've had a few meals, so now it's like, well... We've got like, you know, half a thing of corn. We've got some broccoli. Oh, there's that chicken from last week. And, and we're starting to, to add up in our minds, I wonder if that's still good. Uh, is that moldy or not? Um, I, I can't help but to notice that my parents are here this morning. Um, my dad and I had such a smorgasbord once, and uh, we, we ate lunch at different times. He got out, You don't mind me saying this, do you? It, it's, too, it's, too, it's too late now. Just remember, I do have a policy of asking for permission, but I'm breaching that today. And uh, he, he looked at some rice that we had had a few nights ago, or several nights ago, and it was moldy, so I thought, oh, I better throw that away, but he just set it aside. I came into the house and was like, oh, good, Dad didn't eat the rice, and I stirred it up, put it in the microwave, and ate it. <laughs> Mom was gone somewhere else. I was fine, by the way. Leftovers for us, though, you all have gone through this. Leftovers for us can be a nuisance, but in this day and age, leftovers were a blessing. Because we go to the store, it's not a question of if there will be bread at the store. Maybe the question is, will they have our favorite kind of bread? Because we have 40 different breads to choose from. Leftovers are a sign of abundance. They're a good thing. They're a blessing. Leftover bread? Awesome. This story of Elisha and the feeding of a hundred is picked up by Jesus. And Jesus takes what Elisha did and does it on an even bigger scale. Jesus feeds the 5,000. This is one of the few stories that's in all four Gospels. All four. In Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9, and John 6, the feeding of the 5,000 takes place. Where an abundance was provided for the people. For people that didn't always know where their next piece of bread was coming from, they could eat their fill and have leftovers. Not leftovers that they begrudged and threw in the fridge and sometimes let it get moldy and had to throw it out or feed it to your kid. They had leftovers that were a blessing. Because in the times of Scripture, if you knew where your next meal was coming from continuously, you were a wealthy person. We are given a picture of abundance, of provision. And one miracle is private. The widow is a private miracle. She's paying off her debts. This is behind closed doors because God has nothing to prove, but God does have care and compassion for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. And so this miracle takes place behind closed doors for the provision of one who is in need, who is in scarcity and was given abundance. And the feeding of the 100 is a public sign of abundance. A miracle that took faith that you're now going to set this in front of a whole bunch of people. One of our greatest fears is hosting people and running out of food. We just don't like that to happen. Leftovers, signs of abundance are given one private, one public. But when we talk about abundance, we have to be careful. And the reason we have to be careful is because there is a co-opting, a manipulation of Scripture's theology of abundance, and it has a specific name. It's called the Prosperity Gospel. And what that means is that Jesus died so that you could be really, really rich. The Prosperity Gospel has less to do with provision for God's people being cared for and more about you getting what you want. And we have to be careful because we live in a world of abundance. We really do. We live in a world of abundance. And we have to be careful that our view of abundance doesn't turn into us just getting what all that we want, but that our view of abundance is one of God's provision and that our vision is set on Christ's kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things all the other stuff will be added unto you. But it starts with being framed by God's vision of abundance, not by our own list of needs and wants. In 1969, the Rolling Stones of all groups released a song on their album, Let It Bleed, and the song was this. You can't always get what you want. Anybody know that song? Oh, good. Well... Handful. Maybe we're not all Rolling Stones fans here. I know there's more country fans here, but what I can tell you is sometimes as a child, if I asked for something I wanted, but didn't necessarily need, the chorus from that song would be sung to me, and it went something like this: "You can't always get what you want. You can't always get. What you want, but if you try sometime, you just might find you get what you need. The Rolling Stones have the same picture of abundance that Elisha and Jesus preach. So I'd give some credit to the Rolling Stones for that. You can't always get what you want, but if you try, if you put the effort in, if you test the boundaries, if you explore this idea, you get what you need. You can't always get what you want, but you get what you need. The widow and her olive oil did not turn her into an incredibly wealthy woman who now could become the oil baron of the area and have the monopoly on olive oil sales. She didn't get everything she wanted, but what she really wanted, what she needed, was for her sons not to be sold off as slaves to pay her debts. She needed provision. She got what she needed. And in the same way, this was not a continuous break off a piece of the loaf that these hundred people will be fed for the rest of their lives. But there is a picture of abundance. They got what they needed, and probably even more than they needed. The widow is given a picture of abundance in that she can live off of what was given to her. This doesn't necessarily turn us into wealthy people but it does show that God's hand is sustaining for our needs. Especially in a time when there's question of where is your next meal coming from? Now, two Sundays ago, we had our Mission Celebration Sunday. And we heard people share firsthand the type of poverty that they see in the world, where there is a total lack of abundance. And then one of the shifts that we make is we come back here, where we do have abundance. What do we do with that? It's the same kind of call that was given that we are blessed to be a blessing from Abraham in Genesis to John getting the Revelation vision in the book of Revelation. We are given an abundance. We have blessings to share with others. Both the widow's olive oil, the feeding of a hundred. This is picked up by Jesus in the feeding of the 5,000. And in between the other pieces in this chapter, is food is made good again. The, the story of, it's called death in the pot. And yet this is a story of Elisha making food good for people, beginning at verse 38. This is also the story of a Shunammite's son restored to life, a woman's son being brought back to life. Just as Elijah did that for the widow at Zarephath, now Elisha does this for a Shunammite woman. They continue this resurrection theme, bringing people back to life. This is fulfilled in Jesus Christ when he died for our sins and rose again that we all may be offered eternal life. There is abundance in play. And maybe as we read these stories, there's things that bother us. Like we wonder who could be so heartless as to take this woman's sons as to pay her debts. But this is well within legal bounds. This is the Code of Hammurabi, which is uh, more dominant throughout the entire ancient Near East law practice. And the Old Testament law was more gracious in its governing of these kinds of scenarios where you might have to sell your child to pay your debts. In Exodus 21, verses 2 through 4, this word of the Lord instruction was given to the people. If you buy a Hebrew servant, meaning one of your own people, He is to serve you for six years, but in the seventh year, he shall go free without paying anything. If he comes alone, he is to go free alone. But if he has a wife when he comes, she is to go with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the woman and her children shall belong to her master and only the man shall go free. There's maybe some room for improvement that we would ask for in that. But even Exodus 21 has a different gracious governing of this is not a permanent arrangement, that at the end of these six years, this woman's sons would have to be set free. Nonetheless, knowing that it's within the legal bounds doesn't make it a good situation, because widows needed provision. And it's her sons that she's counting on for this, and God provided a way for this woman to settle her debts without having to sell off one of her children. I don't think any of us can imagine being in that kind of scenario. It takes us a lot of empathy and and thoughtfulness to put ourselves in that woman's shoes, the desperation with which she comes to Elisha, and the Lord provides a way forward. We can't always get what we want, but if we try, we get what we need. This is abundance. But abundance is not just physical goods. Abundance is not just... Having what we need to eat abundance is not just to do with checking accounts and 401ks. Certainly, God can choose to bless us however God sees fit, and we give thanks to God for blessings in whatever form they come. But blessing goes beyond physical possessions. Blessing also goes right into the realm of eternity, where we consider that we've been given eternal life and that the abundant life is not just having everything that we need, but the abundant life is to be sent on mission. The abundant life is to have a vision for how the world can be and a way forward that we can take part in that kingdom vision. The abundant life is that God gave us purpose. God gave us direction for how to live our lives. There's something sad about being stuck in what we think of as maybe a dead-end route of life where you're just going day-to-day. You're not really sure what there is to live for. God gave us the abundance of life that we live our lives with vision and with purpose. Vision and purpose, direction. This is also captured maybe in the book of Proverbs in Proverbs chapter 37 verse 4 we're told take delight in the lord and he will give you the desires of your heart and in the same way maybe this prosperity gospel twists a verse like that and says see god will give you whatever your heart desires but that turns god into a genie like the one from aladdin that turns god into a wish list that we ask for but psalm 37:4 starts Proverbs 37:4 starts with saying, take delight in the Lord. First, we immerse ourselves in God's presence. We find our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Take delight in the Lord. Take delight in God's presence. And then he will give you the desires of your heart because there is an income and an output on this. The income is ourselves being invested in God's vision for what our life should be. The outcome is we have the desires of our heart because God has changed our hearts. John Calvin, the the forerunner in some ways of the Reformed tradition, said the human heart is a factory of idols because our hearts are so easily brought in all different directions. We have an idea of prosperity. We have an idea of what abundance can be. But it takes God's presence in our lives to shape what abundance should be, what the life of abundance should look like. And then we have the desires of our hearts because God has changed our hearts. God has helped us sort out what we think we want but we don't actually need. God has come in and selected in our hearts what an idol is and removed it from us so that we can first seek the kingdom and Christ's righteousness. Jesus in John chapter 10 said that the thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest, to have it to abundance. Jesus says that he gives us life to the abundance. Jesus fed the 5,000 and gave them leftovers. But part of the abundant life that Christ gave us was that we live with purpose. We have an identity that's not just caught up in a whole host of idols and longing after worldly things. We have an identity that is shaped by Christ's call for our lives, to take part in kingdom work, to have vision and identity and purpose. This is part of what we have together as the church, is accountability to hold each other to the vision of an abundant life that Christ gave us. So will you get everything you want? Proverbs would say yes. You will have all the desires of your heart when your heart is shaped To be like God's heart, when we care about the things that God cares about, when we pursue the vision that God gives us, then yes, we will see the desires of our heart before us. In the meantime, we might get caught up in other things. But abundance can be hard to think about, and it can maybe seem distant for us to talk about or understand. Because maybe you look at your life and you think, what do I really have to offer to this whole kingdom vision? Where's my part in that? This is why the story of the widow's olive oil is so important to me. Because when Elisha asked her what she had left, she said, there is nothing. I have nothing left. There's nothing in my house except a small jar of oil. And God took that small jar of oil and turned it into an abundance. God can do immeasurably more with what we have than we, we can ever ask or imagine. And consider that in terms of your own giftedness. What is it that you do? What has God given you a talent for? Maybe it seems small in your eyes. Maybe you think, well, I can do this, but I can't do what they do. I, I, I have this, but I don't have all of what they have. God can do immeasurably more with what we have than what we can ask or imagine. Whatever gift you have to give, whatever way that you know how to bless people, God can do way more in blessing the world than what you would guess or ask or imagine. The widow thought she had nothing left, but that was until God got involved and showed her just how much she had. Whatever gift that is for you to give, Give it well, give it in faithfulness, and give it with a kingdom vision. Whether it's a talent you have, whether it's some small shred of knowledge that you have, whatever it is, God can do more with our gifts, more with our blessings, more abundance than we could ever imagine. And when we use our gifts and ask God to bless them, whether they be physical or whether they're acts of service, whether they're gifts, whether they're just simple words of encouragement and affirmation for those who are downtrodden, whether it's the gift of time spent, however we use what we have. Let's be like the widow who had just a small amount and it was used for abundance. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray.